0: This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. Thanks for downloading the 30th edition of the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I'm recording this episode on the eve of my visit to Louisville, Kentucky, for the Louder Than Life music festival. Really excited about that one, seeing the likes of Guns N' Roses and Ice Cube some really amazing acts there. But for this edition of the Cast, I spoke with three different musicians who have been recording for decades. That includes Wednesday 13, Monkey singer Mickey Dolenz, and Korn and KXM drummer Ray Luzier. First up is my interview with Wednesday 13, and the latest album for Wednesday 13 is his eighth full-length album. It's called Necrophase, and it comes out on September 27th. The album features a lot of high-profile guest performers, including Alice Cooper, Lacuna Coil frontwoman Christina Scadia, Stone Sour drummer Roy Mayorga, and Children of Bottoms' Alexei Leho. Hope I'm saying that right. Is it Leho, Laiho, whatever it is. I spoke with Wednesday by phone in early August, and I immediately asked him if he knew when he was writing Necrophase if he knew he was going to have all those great artists on there.
1: It was after everything was written. It was nothing that we had in mind or had like these spots to like fill in or anything and it wasn't just having guests for the sake of having guests. That was something I was I was hoping the record wouldn't get perceived as that from the beginning of oh, here's a we've got all these guests on it because they can't come up with any ideas. It was the exact opposite. We just had all these ideas and wanted you know other people to share it with and and what they could bring to the song and and that's where you know where alice came in and and christina and alexi and these were all people that with the exception of christina everybody that's on the record of uh, i i knew and that are friends i've known for a while um christina was just someone that i i don't know personally i've did shows with her back in Murdered Dolls' first record, and we have friends of friends, and, and uh, so it almost feels like we, we kind of know each other better than we do. Um, but, uh, yeah, she was just one of the people I didn't know that we reached out to, and she came back uh, with a, you know, all positive about wanting to be a part of it, and, and we sent her her parts, and she came back with even more parts than ever originally had for her and she just she schooled it so it was just cool you know we had all these people come together and it just kind of collectively makes this turn into what seems like a super record so uh that's
0: not a it's not a bad thing and do you remember which song that you recorded first for the album
1: i remember the first song that we wrote for the record or the song that was written that uh, was actually the first single decomposed that was the first kind of track we started working around or like, all right, we got one good, we got one good song in the pot <laughs>
2: kind of,
1: uh, and kind of worked around it that way. I don't really remember what song we started off recording because we started off with drums. So, um, I don't even know where, where we started at, honestly. Um, but I, like I said, that's, it was so much, you know, we we went from kind of writing and demoing the songs. We We, we would record those as well. So, I think I got my brain kind of mixed around with what we recorded first, and, and or wrote first. I, I don't know. It, it just all happened. There's evidence.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of evidence, no, no, I do not have a segue for that. I think I'm one of yeah. many thousands of people that first discovered you as a result of the writing and the contributions you used, used to do for the website Metal Sludge. It kind of showed... Oh, yeah. Hey, this is a guy that is a star, but he's also very accessible. And in my opinion, you kind of preceded the whole idea of artists doing meet and greets. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think I was
1: one of the first people that I knew of was uh, or doing it. Um I don't think I really had anybody other than Kiss to sort of base a meet and greet off of. Um because it really wasn't unknown thing, I guess that Bands were doing unless it was somebody like Kiss or, a, or a bigger band or something like that. And um, I started doing it in like 2009 uh, with my Gunfire band, just because. Well, one, we couldn't we couldn't afford what we were doing, and it was a way that I thought we could we could uh, you know we could make some extra money, and then it would be something cool for the fans, and it'd be for a handful of people. It wasn't just open for everybody and. And it just kinda became something I started doing and then I don't know in the past I don't know how many years now it's been, but now it's sort of a common thing bands need it to, to survive
0: on. But ultimately the way that you always approach that is in making yourself accessible to your fan base. And meanwhile you mentioned Kiss and you mentioned Alice Cooper, who are kind of harder to reach as artists, you know. Yeah. Everyone relates to the music, but it's not like you can just walk up to Gene Simmons and hey, say hey. In most cases, so I'm curious where that influence came from to make yourself accessible to fans.
1: I think it's just it, well, well, this kind of uh, this day and age, you know, it's really it's lit, it's not magazines anymore. Now it's all now it's all social media and 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 you can be accessible on there, you know, there's people that I wish weren't accessible on social media. I don't want to be one of those kind of people where I just won't, I won't shut up or anything like that. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I I was approachable by the fans, you know, like when we play shows in America or, you know, and well, I guess around the, around the world, we're not, we're not playing sold out shows. or are not thousands of people, you know, we're playing for a few hundred people and, and that's why it's kind of been you know solid for us for years, and and uh, you know it's just been easy e- easy for us to 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 get to our fans and approachable, and and uh, you know and that's been kind of difficult over the years because certain places we started off where we played in front of five people, and now it's worked up where there's five hundred people, and we can't meet people now, and we used to, and then those fans are going, oh, what do you, you we used to be there for you? I'm like we can't find you now, we can't, we're not as, you know, so it's just, it's a push and pull thing, um, you know, but I've just never been, or I've tried to turn it off where I'm not accessible, you know, the meet and greet things are something I hope that are, is fine, it's not just, hey, you get to meet me, but what do you think about that, it's just, you know, I want to make it cool, if you come on the bus, we'll try to make it fun, I'll, I try to make cool videos of stuff, you know, on the bus to watch people come up and hang out, so it's not just a, hey, how you doing? Get the fuck out of here kind of
0: thing. <laughs> Well, going back to Necrophase, it is your eighth album as Wednesday 13, and you're doing an album every two, three years on average, plus a lot of guest appearances, plus, of course, touring, you know, probably one to 200 shows in support of these albums. Is creativity a daily thing for you, or is it kind of like you write the album, you make the album, and then you don't write anything for a while?
1: I think now it's it's sort of a creative thing that just is constantly like it seems like it's constantly going i'm being creative and whether it's the record's done so i can't really do any more as far as the uh actual album goes but as far as promotion and how we promote it and how we do everything from this point you know i'm being more creative i'm not just going oh let the label figure it out like you know we're still doing tons of promo and there's so much stuff we're doing for this label, and there's not really any kind of set rules that we're playing by. Um, you know, they're letting me be, you know, creative with my own promo and, and ha- how we do it. You know, like, well, you can do a set of interviews where you talk about the record, or you could take that money that you're doing that and and do what I like to do. Well, if we just we just released this week one of our one of our movie trailers, like for Zodiac. So we're doing different stuff that way to make it more fun for the fans and make it more like, you know, just kind of how I've always presented the band. I've always put this imagery and album covers of this horror meets rock and roll thing, and now I'm doing videos that way. So now I've I've got someone that can do... I'm on a label where it just gives me, you know, I have the ability to do videos and all this kind of stuff. So it's just... uh, So I guess having those outlets gives me more creative because I can call up the label now, which is... Forty minutes from my house, and go. Hey, I want to go film something. Well, come down. Okay, cool. And they got a they got an office and green room there I can record and do stuff in. So, uh, so that keeps me more creative too. And plus, I'm not drinking my face off like I have, would do with all my free time. And uh, so that was that that would stunt my creativity. I think a lot. So it was becoming more of a job because my creativity was getting in the, in the way of my drinking.
0: <laughs> right. Hey, uh, getting better all the time. I think that's the M.O. And you mentioned doing trailers and video content related to promoting your music. Long term, do you see yourself making proper films?
1: I would like to. I mean, I, you know, I think the reason I probably became a musician and started doing stuff is because I didn't have access. It was easier to get a hold of a uh, guitar than it was a movie camera. At my age, uh, and my brother had like a thousand dollar one of those shoulder VHS. You know, when America's first uh, America's Funniest Home Videos first came out, those super expensive cameras, and you know, you can get a guitar, you get four guitars the price of one of those. And uh, so yeah, so I started writing music about. Or I learned how to play guitar and started writing music about movies, and now. I'm getting involved into the point where I'm going, Wow well, now I'm kinda of making little movies, so why not just do it so uh, that's something that i'm I'm working on and have some uh some uh actually uh like developments working on it now, so' it's not just more of ideas like i've got a uh, it's on it's on my list of shit to get done um uh, is to get my my movie thing uh Going so that's something I'm working on, kind of as well as this release is coming out too. So uh, so yeah, so I'm 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 still working even though the record's done. So that's uh, something that I've never done before, where I usually record record's done and I just have time to kind of float about and just do the record. Now I'm working on a movie idea as well, so uh, it's keeping me busy and and
0: and I like to stay busy. And when I speak to people who are clearly idea people, that they are the creative leader of a band, I find that it goes kind of two ways. One is that the person is always listening to music and always consuming art when they're not working, and then the other kind of person just avoids art by all means when they're not working. Which one are you?
1: The the latest edition of me uh, is constantly listening learning soaking in everything the me a couple years ago was was definitely records done turn it off i don't want to do anything else i don't want to hear anything else i don't want to touch my guitar until it's time to write the next record kind of kind of deal and uh so it's exact exact opposite now so uh so yeah i'm just you know uh, it Maybe it's weird, I don't know, but I am like addicted to all day all i all I do is watch YouTube clips of nineteen eighties commercial breaks <laughs>
0: okay. not not just the commercial breaks, but also listening to Tough again or just the commercial breaks.
1: Just the commercial breaks, just 19, everything from 1980s, you'd be amazed. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there going, well, am I weird for watching it, or is it weird that there's like 8,000 people that have uploaded, you know, these old TV trailers, and or TV-like shows, and TV, uh, it's just basically in between TV shows. It'll be like the, the two-minute uh, commercial break, and it's everything from serial commercials to... More serial commercials, and um, yeah, it's just to me, it's it's really cool to go back and watch a lot of that stuff because I've been watching all the old movies, I've been I've did that forever, but just you can really see a lot of, of what was going on uh, and watching those commercial breaks, and it just that's another if you if people like to get into retro stuff and. You'd be surprised, or at least me. I just how brainwashed it. I every single jingle for every song that's every commercial, every product that doesn't exist anymore. I know it. Like I know it as well as I do an Enough Enough song. It's it's ridiculous.
0: Wow, I think I have a new wormhole to go down. So thank you very much for that. Oh, so. <laughs> that's I'm watching the news now from 1982 wow <laughs> this is really I've now never thought a, about this before
1: that's a trip to watch old news things during the day and then see how much stuff is a lot of stuff hasn't changed at all especially in the political war war front we're still doing the same shit we were doing in 1982 that we're doing right now so that hasn't changed
0: just a lot slower
1: yeah and McDonald's was a five star restaurant and not it was before Super Size Me destroyed it
0: good call so i guess in closing any last words for the kids
1: yeah just uh i just always say thank you for everybody that's been supporting us and and uh i can't wait for everybody to hear the new record because it's like a sort of rebirth and and reconnection with uh with with what i do so i'm 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 in a good spot so i think the music followed me there so uh it's uh it's a good time for us, so enjoy the ride.
0: Next up is my August 2019 phone interview with Ray Luzier. Ray is not only the drummer of Korn, a position he's held for about 13 years, but he's also one third of the band KXM alongside guitarist George Lynch, who you know from Doc and the Lynch Mob, and bassist Doug Pinnick, who I'm sure you know from King's X. Before winding up in Korn, Ray played with David Lee Roth, which we spoke about in our chat, a bit of a spoiler alert here, but it looks like we'll be seeing a fourth album from KXM in the near future, maybe also some touring. So let's keep an eye out for that. Hey, there Hey, Ray. How's it going there today? Good, man. How are you? I am doing excellent. I have a bunch of questions to ask you about KXM, but I first want to say that I've been following your career for a long, long, long time when you were David Lee Roth's drummer, of course. And that seemed to be your big break in in a way because, of course, Steel Panther did not take off right away either. So a lot of bands, Mm -hmm. a lot of artists, their career kind of bleeds into each other and that people go oh you did this gig welcome to this gig did your david lee roth gig at all lead to you getting the corn gig
3: yeah i think they all kind of
0: um go like you said they flow into each other and if you stay active in the music business
3: um it took me a while when i moved to los angeles because i was in a lot of uh original bands i wanted to do the dream like corn did i wanted to to you know have five four or five guys and you know, start off from nothing and keep progressing and getting more popular. And everyone dreams about that as a musician. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I had a couple failed original bands. We got the carrot dangling right in front of us and uh, either got the rug pulled out at the last minute or that shelf a record or, you know, um, labels or the music business side, I always say sucks. <laughs> you know, the, the playing music and touring and all that's great, but um sometimes the business doesn't work out that great. So, you know, when I got the, I started realizing, I started auditioning for people. and Jakey e. Lee from Ozzy Osbourne was one of the first kind of named people I got the gig for. And that was my first tour. So I started getting on a bus and um, playing, you know, some Ozzy songs, some Badland songs of Jake's. And that was my first taste of it. And then that would led me to, you know, I was doing everything from teaching drum lessons to playing on sessions, you know, movie soundtracks, TV commercials, other people's records. And then um, <clears throat> one of the sessions I did was a guitar player working with David Lee Rock. And that uh, he called me back and said, hey, Dave, loves your playing. He wants to cut the songs again for vocals because it was an instrumental record. And uh, went down, played two songs with Dave and got that gig. And that led to eight years um, with Dave. And I had no idea in a million years I'd ever be playing with one of my, you know, singers of one of my favorite bands of all time. So, and then that, you know, towards the end of that, I was not feeling that creatively, you know, fulfilled with, with Dave because I was a huge fan of Edom and Smile and a bunch of his original records and he just was doing cover records and I felt like I was in a Van Halen cover band with David Lee Ross. <laughs> so sure. Uh, I kept you know, I, I wanted to I have too much music in me, I write too much. So anyway, long story short, I've done a couple Billy Sheehan solo records and Billy and I played the NAMM show in 2005 and I met the DeLeo brothers there and um, that led me to Army of Anyone and Army of Anyone was Robert and Dean DeLeo from Sun Temple Pilots uh, Richard Patrick from Filter and I fell head over heels you know because I really wanted to that band to be you know do multiple records and all that and it was short-lived unfortunately I'm very proud of that record we put out they were managed by Korn so I kept asking our manager, hey, what's up with Corn? They're using Joey from Slipknot on this tour, Terry Bozio on the record, Brooks Wackerman, all these different people. And they said, yeah, they're looking for a steady drummer. You should go check it out. And I'm like, me? I'm blonde hair, no tattoos, and never did a drug in my life. <laughs> and uh, they didn't seem to care. I went up and auditioned for him. Uh,
0: Joey's last gig in Seattle, and they said, welcome to Corn. we'll see you in Dublin. And that was October of 07. I had the pleasure of seeing you a couple nights ago at Jones Beach playing with Corn. and it strikes me how versatile you are because the first band I saw you in, of course, was Dave, and I'm familiar with Army of Anyone, but then you take a song like Got the Life, which you could describe as like an evil disco kind of drumbeat and all that. Did you learn all the different styles when you were studying at Musicians Institute, or did that just kind of reaffirmed what you learned in playing drums since you were a kid?
3: Yeah, I'm definitely a field player. You know, A lot of people because i've done a lot of progressive prog records and things like that people always think i'm a more of a a technician side but i've taught myself you know self-taught myself playing the records my whole life you know i went to musicians institute because i was a rock metalhead off the farm from pittsburgh you know i didn't know any better didn't know any other styles no one really showed me anything so um growing up to just nothing but zeppelin ozzy and kiss and all the classic rock bands, that's all you knew. So, yeah, I got my ass kicked when I went to MI and uh, learning swing and reggae and, and ska and, you know, Latin. So, and I'm still learning to this day. I mean, you never, ever stop. I have light years of stuff to learn, and that's the beauty of music. You know, you can never never quite reach that plateau. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely, uh, when I got in corn. it's a totally different animal uh, to to do. I mean, it's um, having the freedom to play in bands like KXM is a great thing because there's there's no rules. You know, Corn has a certain thing they do. And with producers, they know that. So there's more of a production move on the records, which I'm OK with because I, you know, it's it's all about the feel and groove with Corn. You know, with KXM, I have a there's no one telling you what to do. It's 100 percent us. You know, um, that's the kind of funny rule we have with KXM. No one tells, you know, I don't tell Doug what to do. Doug doesn't tell George what to do. And somehow we, we come up with this really cool stuff,
0: you know. Do you like the idea of KXM sounding like an all-star band based on your credits?
3: You know, it's, it's weird because uh, people call it, you know, the, the supergroup thing. They call it all different kinds of stuff. So us, it's just, it's just we met, met up years ago. And I've always been a King's X fan and a George Lynch fan. I did George's DVD years ago. And I've been following King's X like crazy because i think they're one of the best bands out there and you know what once you get to a point where these are your buddies you know we have enough time on the water uh, of all the experience that we have and countless tours and records that it's a magical thing to get in the studio and not have any pre-production i mean we literally walk in the studio nobody has any grooves or riffs we come up with something on the spot and i'm tracking live drums by the end of the day and then we do guitars and bass that night and then, obviously, the vocals and bleeds are overdubbed. But um, most of the record is made on the spot like that. 13 songs in 13 days, boom. You know, so um, I think it's really cool that that we trust each other and it's, we kick each other's asses to get that done. And we've done it three times now. You know, we were joking about the fourth KXN. We're like... We should uh
0: actually try to try pre production and see what that's like. <laughs> well, when you start off KXM, people are going, Yep, side project. I mean, your record label is very synonymous with super groups and side projects and all that, but being your third record, do you now vo- view this as almost like a full time band?
3: Um, it's corn's always my bread and butter and always will be. It's it's you know, this is October starts my thirteenth year with the band and uh they've been around twenty five. So and with the quality record we have coming out and quality tours coming up, you know, we're on a banging you saw the other day that, uh, with Allison chains, it's a really good uh, package. And um, I feel we're at the top of our game, even though we're all 47 to 49 years old, you know, we, we there's definitely something going on now in, in the air with this, That's everyone's in a good headspace, And so, you know, corn's always there uh, that the, it's going to be my number one, but, know it's my fault that kxm doesn't tour we've had many offers to do package tours to cruise ships to you name it you know it's like the whole problem is it would take us weeks and weeks just to get the first show going because none of us have ever played this live you know i've played several things at drum festivals to the record so i'm I'm technically the only one that ever played (laughs) go see kxm live go to youtube and type in my name you know but uh we will end up playing shows, I know. Um, it's just a matter of finding out the, the,
0: the right time frame. You know. In your career, you were, I believe, a little bit after your tenure with Dave, you did a technician kind of video, a clinician kind of thing. When in your career did you go from being just a sideman to an actual endorsed drummer?
3: A lot of musicians are like, how do I get endorsed? How do I get free stuff? And it's like, it's not, it's not really about... Obviously, you have to be in the public eye <clears throat> and in a popular band, so people, you know, the companies want their products to be seen. Of course, that's the obvious uh, thing about endorsements. But one cool thing, one of my fa- my biggest endorsements is Sabian cymbals. Um, when I was playing clubs before I got the Jakey Lee gig, you know, I was doing these Shrapnel Records, which are an independent um, label that had a lot of guitar hero people on. All the Varney and, stuff, um, yeah. Um, yeah, all the Barney stuff. I'm on like 12 or 13 of those records, and and uh, I used to love doing them. You know, you're making money, but you you were building up a catalog, you were building your resume. You were, you had CDs to hand to people back then, which was kind of a, a bigger deal. And and uh, so anyway, you you know you have to establish relationships with these companies. And I have 12 endorsements to look after, and because uh, drummers are nuts, we have all these components and you know everything on our drums, the in-ear monitors, to everything. So. Um, I, Sabian is the first company that saw me play at a small club in Los Angeles in front of 15 people and said, we really believe in you. We know you're going to be doing this for a long time, you know, and I had nothing at the time. I could barely pay a phone bill. And, um, they gave me my first endorsement and, uh, and I, that, that holds, I'm a loyal guy, you know, when that, when someone believes in me, I got your back, you know, that's it. So, um, they're my longest endorsement. I was 93. So, um. And then I, you just start accumulating after that, you know, you see what companies you're interested in, you establish a relationship with them, you know, you go to the NAM show in LA, you do, you know, write to them, do whatever you got to do. Um,
0: but I'm very happy with my companies right now, for sure. And you look exactly like you did 15 or so years ago when I first saw you, what are you doing to keep up in terms of the conditioning? <laughs> well, glad you, glad you think that <laughs> because today, I feel like
3: a truck hit me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I try to, I, that whole saying that, you know, rock and roll keeps you young. I, I don't honestly believe that, you know, I've been, uh, this, this whole career of mine, I never, never part took in any kind of drug, substance abuse, anything like that. You know, I have a lot of friends that are younger than me that look much older than me because of stuff they've gone through. And that's okay. I mean, that people turn around and they get over it, but I don't know, man, like I, I, uh, I just try to take care of myself you know I've got a, a four and an eight-year-old that keeps me busy and when I'm home um I got an awesome wife and, and just you know I I truly live for music so I think when I, you surround yourself with positivity and, and and good people and and do what you love to do I think that that shows in, in your appearance so maybe that has something to do
0: with it I don't know but uh you yeah, know but thank you for the compliment <laughs> so in your case, it's not something like doing d d p yoga or something a fitness effect. It's literally that you exercise and then keep a positive p m a kind of attitude. Eat a lot of Ben and jerry's
3: um yeah i yeah, I definitely try to keep in in shape and and I definitely you know I belong to a gym and stuff and i try to uh, uh, but i'm I'm really bad with sugar that's my poison you know um I, I, I'm a sweet fanatic. Like you always get, if there's a bakery in town, like uh, we're in Connecticut today. And uh, the first thing I do is look for a coffee shop and a bakery and that's kind of bad, but <laughs> that's the only poison I got. And that's, makes me happy. So, um, um, obviously metabolism when you're late forties, the, the, is not like it was when you're 30, but, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta still make yourself somewhat happy being in this nutty world that we live
0: in, you know? And so there is hope of a fourth KXM record, though? Yeah, I mean, we were just joking about that not too long ago at at the uh, Lightning video
3: shoot. We were saying, like, you know, if we ever do another one, you know, my ultimate goal, and I've talked to Doug and George about this, would be to do a live outing. Like, somehow do a string of shows and then hopefully film the last show um, for a DVD or online video where people could see the band that couldn't see it, you know, maybe they can't travel to where we're going to be. So um, that would be the ultimate to me to do like a, cause that would be a great set list. We have three records to put together now, uh, put together a set list, but yeah, I definitely, that's not out of the question at all. You know, um, I'm the baby of the band at 49, which is kind of scary, but uh, Doug has never looked or sounded better. And he's 66 years old, you know, Doug, uh, George is 63 and they're both in, Great shape and and they sound amazing that's what you know, a lot of people lose their edge or lose certain things especially
0: singers you know um but doug man that soul that comes out of that guy's mouth it's amazing absolutely two quick questions and then you're a free man the first one is were you ever ray luzier did you ever do your last name that way
3: <laughs> when i moved to hollywood i remember a
0: guy uh you know right off the farm and he, and he said what's your name i go ray luzier
3: and he goes uh that's not gonna work what's your middle name And i go lee he goes, that's it. That's your stage name. That's your rock and roll name, Raymond Lee. And I went, I don't want to be Raymond Lee. There's Michael Lee, Tommy Lee, all these, you know, uh, and he's like, Louisier's too hard to pronounce, you know? And I go, well, it's actually Luzier it's from France. And he goes, yeah, people are not going to get that. But, uh, you know, to answer your question, no, I never went by that. Um, uh, Sebastian Paquette that does our KXM videos, he's from Paris and he's the only one that pronounces my last name properly, but, uh, but, uh, lose ears, how you pronounce it. And that's just, you know, I got more Italian
0: to me than French. So got it. So any last words for the kids?
3: Uh, no, I just, uh, encourage everyone to support music and, and, uh, I'm a vinyl freak lately. I've been buying a ton of vinyl and, um, really check out the new KXM circle dolls vinyl. Cause it's a splattered black and turquoise print that come out really beautiful. And, uh, um, definitely check that out. And, um, support your favorite bands you know everyone's got their spotify and apple pay going on or or apple music going on you know but if you really are into the artist and you know people work really hard on records and that uh go buy their vinyl it really helps us out you know even to this day i know it's a world of uh (laughs) us older dudes losing the battle with with purchasing music but it, it people don't realize how much it does mean to us when you actually uh put forth the effort for all the work we've done you know
0: Last, but definitely not least, is my July 2019 phone interview, make that late July 2019 phone interview with Mickey Dolenz. As one of the founding members of The Monkees and a working actor even before he was cast in The Monkees, Dolenz has been famous for almost his whole life and it's not surprising why. He's some talented multi-instrumentalist who's full of great stories for starters. Dolenz still tours a lot and he'll be part of the It Was 50 Years Ago Today tour alongside Todd Rundgren Christopher Cross, Joey Mollin from Badfinger, and Jason Chef, who I had on the Paltrowcast a couple of episodes ago. Same with Todd Rungren. So, really a big fan of that tour. It's really going to have a lot of music that you know, as the artists are going to be doing the whole Beatles wide album and also a few of their own hits. Uh, this is my second time interviewing Mickey Dolans, and based on this great experience, I'm really hoping there's going to be a third interview in the near future with Mickey. Hey, it's Darren Paltrow. It's still a good time for your interview today? Yeah, this is our
2: our scheduled time, right? One y- o'clock?
0: Yes, it is. All good for you today? Where are you? I am calling from Long Beach, New York on Long Island. Ah, lovely part of the world. How's the weather there? Are you, are you getting part of that heat wave? We are absolutely getting that heat wave. Am I getting you on the West Coast today?
2: Yes, you are, Los Angeles. Not too bad today, actually clear it's uh another shitty day in paradise
0: <laughs> <laughs> right i've read in the past that you live a certain amount of the year in new york is that still the case uh, uh
2: i spend um quite a bit of time back east uh all over the place uh i lived in new york uh for the best part of a year or two when i was doing uh aida the musical um elton john musical and then uh also i was uh morning DJ at uh, CBS FM so I spent the best part of a couple of years uh, but my my wife um, uh, is from Philly and her all of her family's there my I have two of my children are in the DC area Uh, now I have grandchildren so yeah I do spend a lot of time back east a lot yeah.
0: And I do remember that period where you took over at CBS FM. Was that the first time that you'd done radio for a long time basis?
2: Yes it was the first time I had you know sat in and, and, and done you know little uh, uh, bits and pieces over the years always loved it um, in fact uh, the first time I did it I was about 12 years old and I, I uh, got a, a Heath kit I don't know if you know that term Um, sure yeah you build electronic things uh you know out of kits and i've always been kind of a uh, science uh, geek and i built a little fm transmitter from the heath kit that would transmit from the garage to to the kitchen where my i had my mother tune the uh her radio (laughs) into my transmissions and i would give her the weather report from the driveway (laughs) <laughs> That's the first time. Then I would, then I would play a a record on my, uh, you know, on my little, uh, you know, record player. And uh, but no, the, no, uh, the CBS FM thing was uh, was definitely the first uh, major, you know, thing. And boy, was it tough! It was one of the hardest gigs I've ever had.
0: Well, that's always a thing that interests me about your career, how many chances you've taken, how many different fields you've succeeded in. And in my opinion, you did succeed in radio, even if it was a tough you know, transition right there. But when I look at your career, one of the things that intrigues me most is most people start with the credibility and then they get the mainstream success. You kind of worked the other way around where you had the mainstream success after your child acting career and then people realized, "Wow, what a talented multi instrumentalist songwriter this guy is!" Is that something you've ever thought about? That, in reverse, you got the credibility?
2: No, actually, I have never never occurred to me that um, <clears throat> I was born in a showbiz family, uh, <clears throat> um, a very down to earth showbiz family. My father was uh, an actor, a singer uh, uh, off the boat from Italy uh so i'm first generation italian um and my mom was from texas uh austin texas um and uh came out to los angeles to be an actress and uh met my father doing a play and they got married and had me and uh, you know so i grew up in a showbiz family but not the kind of typical thing you see you know on some of these stupid television shows, we grew up in a very, uh, I don't know how to, what, how do you describe it a Very down to earth sort of family, um, uh, and lifestyle. We lived out in the Valley on little ranches and had horses and gardens and not your typical sort of, uh, uh, you know, Beverly Hills Hollywood, uh, sort of, uh, uh, showbiz family it was uh, much more down to earth again because probably my father being from Italy and uh, mom from Texas uh, to me I mean I you know I I just grew up in, in this showbiz family and I thought everybody's father was an actor <laughs> sure I um I uh, uh just basically I followed in my father's footsteps um uh and Uh, I was never pressured. I don't ever remember. I never went to, like, acting school or dancing school, and my mother was definitely not your typical, um, you know, eyes and teeth, honey, eyes and teeth. Um, uh, There was none of that. I never felt pressured. I I, uh, just was following in my father's footsteps. My earliest memories were going onto the set with him and watching him, uh, you know, be an actor. And uh, my first screen test was, I was six, six years old, even before Circus Boy. Um, And I don't remember exactly how it happened. I think my father's agent said that they're making a movie and uh, would would Mickey want to, you know, do a, a screen test. And I obviously I said yes. I don't ever remember being pressured in any way. Um, But that was my first screen test. I was six. I actually have some prenatal work coming out on ultrasound.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, your daughter is also your daughter. Amy has also found success as an actress, making it a third generation Hollywood family. I guess there's you guys, the Nelsons, the Barrymores, but there's not a lot of those out there.
2: Mm, that's true um a- amy um did very very well, and then uh m- my youngest daughter from another marriage Georgia, georgia dolans um <clears throat> is um doing very well as a an actress as a producer director she has a short film that just got accepted into the veil vale, uh festival um that she wrote produced, and starred in um she um, graduated with a degree in theater uh, from uh, Hull University in England and then went through the groundlings all the way through the groundlings into the Sunday company. And so she's doing very well uh, in, the, in, in the business. Uh, I have two other daughters that are, are not in the business, but also also doing quite well in in what they do. Yeah. So I don't know a long way uh, around and, uh, to answer your question, the, the, the word credibility, it never has entered my lexicon. I, I just never think about that, um, whether I'm credible or not, or, you know, actually whether I'm, uh, well, I like to be successful. I like to make a living at it, but I don't, uh, you know, I don't, um, put the cart before the horse, you know, um, money follows art. Art doesn't follow money. You, you, um, you, you do what you like and what you, you hope is going to work and be successful and you do your best and, uh, you surround yourself hopefully with people that are talented also. And, uh have the same sensibility. And then, uh, with any luck, you do, you get lucky. <laughs> it's the only, only way I can uh, kind of describe it. Uh, the monkeys, of course, being a classic example of that, you know, just a bunch of people, mostly young people that just got together and had an idea and, uh, you know, gave it a shot and, uh, the The way I look at it is that the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts in uh, in our business, and uh, you can't really reduce it in a, a scientific sense. If you know what I mean, you can't take it apart and and and, and examine it. You know, like taking a watch apart to see how it works. <laughs> well, if you do, you you don't have a watch anymore. <laughs> you just you know, have a bunch of parts the same in our business. You can't take apart TV shows or movies or records or anything and, and, and dissect it and then and figure out how it works. I mean, there's no formulas. Uh, if there were, there'd be no
0: flops. <laughs> sure. And speaking of parts and all that, your voice is notably held up as good as ever over the years. Has that been the product of care and voice lessons and technique? Or is that luck in genetics?
2: both and that's a very good question and um uh the 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 short answer is i believe both you know you're yeah uh there is a physicality to it um your vocal cords are muscles little tiny muscles look like little guitar strings um and so yes there is a physicality to it and uh you can be born with say a golfer's physique or a you know, seven foot six you know <laughs> basketball player's physique. Um so that yes, there absolutely I believe is a genetic uh component. And it comes back to that, you know, nat- nature versus nurture argument. Um if you may have the physique, but if you're not born into a family that is into music or singing, then you, that uh, ability may may not ever be realized because you've just not been exposed to the opportunity. But then there is also the, um, uh, the, the, nur- the nurture. You, you do have to uh, work on your skills and your abilities and you do have to train in any sport and again the singing in a way is like a uh, a sport uh, in that sense that you do have to, have to train you do have to take care of your of your uh body and your muscles um i um i really i again i was born in this showbiz family and most both my dad and mom were singers so from day 1 I remember singing along with my mom and dad uh, and, you know, every day all the, and there was always music around. So that certainly would have helped. Um, and then I just uh, was able to carry a tune and started little rock and roll bands and, you know, did all that as a kid. And so actually my first musical instrument was a uh, Spanish guitar, classical guitar, really? uh, you know, a, a la uh, Segovia. I mean, as a 10-year-old, <laughs> you know, not, not as Segovia. Uh, <clears throat> but that was my first instrument of choice was Spanish classical guitar. And I was okay for a 10, 12-year-old kid. Uh, but I took lessons and practiced. And, uh, and then I would be invited to parties in high school and I'd play Malagania, and the girls would say, do you know any Kingston Trio? <laughs> and I, I would say, oh, yeah, I'll be right back. <laughs> Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. <laughs> um, and that, that sort of got, got me into folk music. Uh, and I did that with my sister, Coco, who's an excellent singer also, and some friends. And we did you know uh, early uh, Kingston Trio you know folk, folk music kind of stuff. And that morphed into um, rock and roll, and I was in a couple of cover bands, singing and playing rhythm uh, uh, guitar. And, um, you know, doing Chuck Berry and, John, and uh, you know, Little Richard and, you know, whatever. In fact, my audition piece for the Monkees was Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry, because that was one of the songs I did in, in, in the cover band. Um, I didn't do any training at the time vocally. Um I just, you know, sort of just kind of naturally just sang. Um, it wasn't until I started doing Broadway, uh specifically Aida, uh where our, my manager said, you know, you really should uh, start taking some vocal lessons uh, uh to learn breathing and and, and how to uh play, placement an operatic uh Aida but it was definitely an, an Elton John rock opera kind of thing eight shows a week and i was hitting b flats every night full voice wow and and so i, I so i uh, and i'm I, and i'm i'm glad i took her advice because it uh definitely helped uh I, you know it helps mostly when you're not feeling really great or you're you're a little bit under the weather find ways of, of placing a uh, placement, they call it. Uh, and, um, you know, so yeah, I, I, uh, I still am careful. I, I, I still warm up. I, I'm uh, uh, pr- still protective of my tubes. Uh, I go to ENT and, and make sure everything is, is, you know, in good shape. And then, of course, like I, I said before, part of it is just nature. You know, I just, I got lucky and I can still hit a B flat. Um, I, I Actually, I can still hit a D above C.
0: I don't expect that you're going to have to hit those notes on the upcoming tour that you're doing. The It was 50 years ago. I am, I,
2: I am going to have to hit it because in Pleasant Valley Sunday at the end, um, uh, at the end of Pleasant Valley Sunday, I hit a D above C and it's 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 a head tone it's not a full voice um you know uh tenor uh, uh thing it is a head tone slash not quite falsetto but it, but, but it's definitely a, a head tone and i still do you know uh in my solo show for instance i i do uh one of my favorite songs well there's a couple that i do um Oh, darling, the Beatles song. I do that in the original key of A, and I do uh, "Give Me Some Lovin," uh, Spencer Davis. I do that in the original key uh, uh, of A. But I do, but I am careful. I am, you know, if I'm not feeling really good, I'll cut a song, or if I feel like my my chords are are uh, a little bit worn or something. That's where you get in trouble is, is, is singing on bad uh, uh, chords. Uh, you know, you, you have a cold, you have some kind of acid reflux or something's going wrong and, and, you, and you try to do it, uh, you try to hit those notes. That, that's when you get in trouble because that's when you get the, the injuries that can turn into the polyps and then you're screwed.
0: Sure. Uh, I've had the pleasure of speaking to a couple of people that you'll be on the, it was 50 years ago today, tour with. And all of them pretty much say, yeah, I got this tour in the fall, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I know my next project or two beyond that. Are you in kind of the same boat where you know what 2020 looks like already?
2: Well, I already have dates, uh, uh, solo dates in 2020. Um, Whether or not Mike Nesmith and I are going to go out again... um, as the Mike and Mickey show, uh, which we did very successfully uh, this year and last, uh, that is, remains to be seen. Um, but I always have solo shows, uh, uh, you know, all, all year round. Um, uh, I, I don't remember, remember the dates, frankly. Uh, I have about already about half a dozen booked for 2020, cool. but uh, frankly, I've i don't I don't remember uh you know the exact exact dates this white album tour um is you know gonna take up most of this year. I'm thrilled and flattered and 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 quite honored to be asked uh to to be part of this with you know such incredible uh talent like uh Todd and Christopher and Jason and joey i mean You know, uh, uh, I'm a huge fan of these people (laughs) and and the, you know, the thought of going out there and uh, and and also, of course, I'm a huge fan of the White Album. I mean, who isn't? And uh, so I'm very flattered and honored to be uh, singing with these people.
0: And I assume that you're going to be doing Pleasant Valley Sunday and a song or two beyond the White Album during the tour, or has that not been worked out yet?
2: We all are. I'm going to, um, probably right now it's looking like I'm a believer and Pleasant Valley Sunday.
0: Got it. So that pays off with all the vocal maintenance.
2: <laughs> and then each of us do like four or five uh, tunes off, off the, um, White Apple.
0: And then looking ahead at everything, there's a lot of people within the Monkees fan base who love the material from head. Have you ever thought about doing a tour where you focus on the deep cuts like that?
2: Oh, we have. Oh, me, we've done it, Mike and I uh, just recently um, uh, did, uh, in our show, just uh, he and I, because uh, of course our, our beloved Peter uh, passed uh, recently, and uh, Davey passed uh, a, f- a number of years ago, um, but on on, the, on this last uh, tour with Mike, we did uh, two songs from uh, Head, at least uh and when I went out with Peter and David, we would sometimes do two or three songs from, from the movie Head. Um, that's some of the greatest soundtrack. Uh, you know, there's only six songs in that movie, um, and, uh, but every one of them is just a killer. So, yes, absolutely. I do Porpoise Song. I do As the Go Along. I've uh, uh, done Circle Sky uh uh peter has done can you dig it and uh a long title and davy is has done um uh, uh the harry nielsen tune daddy's song um, so over the years yes we've done every single every single song from that that wonderful uh weird movie
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like I have to see you live the next time you're in New York with Mike. So I guess in closing, Mickey, uh, any last words for the kids?
2: To the kids that want to be in the business? Sure. My advice for anybody who wants to get into uh, show business, my first
0: bit of advice would be get a good lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Paltrocast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.